Welcome to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. I'm Nick Sinclair and this is the go-to podcast if you're an accountant and looking to set up and build a high-performing offshore team for your accounting firm. Here you can learn how to complement your local efforts, grow capacity and deliver more to clients than ever before. Hear from experts who have done it already. Let's go. I'm David Ross from Direction Accounting and the Supercoach, and you're listening to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. David, give us an overview of your business um, and specifically around your team structure onshore, offshore, um, and how long you've actually been or had a global team for. Yeah, sure, Nick. Um, look, we've got uh, we've got one uh, local team member these days, in addition to myself, much smaller. She's a second year graduate and uh, it's kind of like our local uh, superstar. And we've got two offshore now with uh, with TOA. Uh, one's an accountant, which we've had for three years. And uh, we recently, about seven months ago, put on an executive assistant for myself. So that's a, um, that's a new role that we created immediately as an offshore. So Excellent. And I know um, in your spare time, you also run a another business. Do you want to just give us a, a quick overview of that business as well? Yeah, sure. So an offshore has had a big part to play with this. So we um, started doing business advisory from day one in our firm about 18 years ago. And uh, we sort of had a bit of a change of path around about four or five years ago where I took that out as its own brand and, and uh, branded it as Supercoach. So it's a business advisory and coaching company for SMEs. And uh, we call that our sister business for, for one of anything better. And then from that came a, a branch off as well in terms of doing a joint venture with accountants that are just struggling to have a resource uh, to be able to do business advisory on the ground with their clients. So we go in, do the coaching for them, get their advisory division set up, if you like, share the, um, the spoils along the way. So they're able to get up and running and get results with the business advisory uh, without having to dedicate a team member uh, on the ground and then sort of struggle along trying to get momentum with the with the figures. So keeps me uh, keeps me busy along with the uh, with the accounting practice. I'm sure the executive assistant's uh, certainly helping you out with that side of it. So that's exactly pivoting. why she's on board. <laughs> <laughs> so pivoting back to the accounting firm, do you have a niche or an area of clients that you target specifically? Yeah, we, we didn't prior to offshoring. We were very generalist. Uh, being in a regional area in New South Wales, uh, you, you kind of have to be uh, simply because of the numbers. It's changed a bit with cloud, obviously, but, uh, but numbers of businesses in, in a particular niche. So what we have gravitated to is construction and trades and also hospitality because that's in our backyard. And as we've been able to build the offshore team, we've been able to devote a bit more time to actually the bookkeeping sort of, uh, I don't like the term, but uh, that that virtual CFO um, style approach to some of the larger construction businesses. And we're really making inroads in that in that area. So that's probably the niche that we would have is in that construction trade and and helping them with sort of cloud integration, those sorts of areas. Excellent. I'm intrigued on why you niched after you started to build a global team as opposed to why 
not before. What was the main, I suppose, driver or pivoting to, to really going more down a narrow approach? Probably the ability to be a little more uh, hands-on locally with the client rather than processing with the client. And, and I, I look at it from a profitability perspective um, purely on that. Uh, we're now able to have uh, our graduate uh, meeting with the client, doing everything that needs to be done locally, but then also having assistance from the offshore perspective to just build up that that uh, capacity to process. Prior to that, we just didn't have the didn't have the ability to really even even look at that level of work. And it's probably a bit like bookkeeping um, thing, but we don't have a bookkeeping division. We just we just niche the whole client. We do everything for them from from the bookkeeping stuff through to um, through to complex tax and uh, and business development work. So it's just allowed us that capacity, I think. Yeah, that's excellent. So I'm just going to go back a step um, for a second. Your story of setting up your offshore team. What were your motivations three plus years ago to do this? Versus obviously all the other priorities that a an accounting business has? It probably goes back further than three years. Uh, around about eight years, we were a, a three director, two office, 15 staff, all the insanity that comes with that. And we were underperforming. I think there were just too many mouths at the, at the trough um, higher up. And one of our directors decided to leave uh, the practice, go to Western Australia. And that left us with two businesses, one which we'd only recently bought, and uh, two directors, and we kind of just looked at each other and split it down the middle and went um, went single uh, each side. I kept one office, he kept the other. And uh, what that did was make me refocus a little bit. And I looked at it and I said, well, okay, look, if I'm ever going to change this thing, now's the time because I was at the minimum amount of staff that I'd had for a hell of a long time. And I just took a, took a different focus. That's when I went down that coaching route, as I said, and rebranded that. Uh, and at the same time, I eliminated all of my team. So I went back to just myself. And that might sound a little bit insane, but I needed to do that to get my sanity back. And when I did that, I was able to just look at things and I guess re rebirth the practice uh, as such. And I pretty quickly found out that I then needed to get some capacity on board. So we were coming out of doing um, a lot of uh, the Rob Nixon stuff. We were we were doing coaching club at, at the time, and uh, we came out of that and then started to look at outsourcing, which at the time was all all the uh, all the go. Problem with outsourcing for me was that the turnaround time was just way too long, and very little of that was controllable from our end. So the outsourcing company that we were using. We got the information in from the client because of the structure of just myself. It all had to be then loaded to the system. Uh, once it was loaded to their system, it then went into their holding bay. Once it went into their holding bay, it then was worked on. Then it came back to me to then review, then back to them to make changes. So it was this back and forth, back and forth. It just blew the turnaround time on jobs way beyond what, what, was, uh, what was suitable for a client. And we had to make a change. So from some of the stuff that we'd learned, some of the firms that we'd worked with through our, um, through our time with the coaching club stuff, uh, we approached um, offshoring rather than outsourcing. 
and that's when we got in touch with uh, with TOA, and uh, that's proven much more effective for us as a practice than um, than outsourcing. Excellent. So how did you go about setting up? Obviously, finding us, um, the recruitment, the onboarding. What was the process, and and what was the sort of time frame that it took to get it up and running? Yeah, look, it was probably pretty quick for us because we because we'd been doing the outsourcing thing, and we specifically jumped at TOA for a reason, um, and that was we'd already decided the offshoring thing. So we were probably a pretty easy sale for you guys. Um, but it was a it was a case of once we once we got into the into the system, our first recruit, the process was pretty quick. We we were presented with with the candidates as as you guys do um interviewed them via skype which was totally new to us not skype but doing interviews that way for a regional practice we'd never done that before particularly overseas um and that was all quite new we we just took a leap of faith really and um the interesting thing was that when we recruited our candidate the one that we recruited was the one that we because when you're interviewing over skype it's it's a it's a different body language uh, you know scenario. So you're you're asking a question and then you're looking at a reaction on the screen. And what we found was that the successful candidate didn't even sort of the eyes didn't go up to try and construct an answer or or, or take something in. The successful candidate that we chose um, was able to take in what we'd asked and then be able to answer us. And we found that that was really really crucial because rather than having somebody that we really had to work hard with from an understanding perspective, which was kind of our expectation, we found we had a, um, had a team member that came on board that was able to really communicate well with us and just become one of our team. So it was pretty That's quick. Very, very good advice, very good advice. So for someone looking to set up an offshore team, what advice would you give to them to make the journey as quick as possible to, I suppose, what are the three most critical things that you would spend your time on if you had to do it again, or even when you put on a new team member? Yeah, look, some of these are maybe, uh, maybe specific in our case, they, they may not, they may apply to a lot of people. But the, the first one I'd, I'd probably recommend is really look at what document management system you're using. Um, bearing in mind that this was three years ago that we did this, but we were on a, um, a server-based uh, document management system and we pretty quickly discovered that it just wouldn't cut it. Um, I know you can you know, remotely log in, etc., but moving documents from one environment to another was just too cumbersome. So we moved to a cloud-based document management system. That's the first thing and that was a big change for us internally with the way that we did things, even though that we were already on the on the desktop version of the same software. It was still a big change. Moving our work papers files to fully digital uh, rather than sort of a bit here and a bit there. Um, if if not using a, a software provider, I'd probably recommend creating your own method, which is what we we did. We didn't go down the path of, you know, using Xero's work papers or, or some other other uh, provider, we just created our own method of doing a putting together a PDF, and that's been a been a game changer for us. Um, I can pretty much, you know, review a job. It's just given me the freedom now to be able to jump in and and in detail review jobs without any any paper whatsoever. 
So we had forced our hand to go fully digital. So I'd recommend really look at moving your work paper files in terms of preparation to fully digital if you haven't already. And the third would probably be in terms of giving work to your team member, uh, just picking two or three tasks or areas of work to start with and just to get them to do those repeatedly and do them well. So rather than trying to train them in everything that you do, um, train your team member to just do simple tasks and, and get them to do those repetitively. So we chose, for example, doing all our ATO um, portal stuff. So when we were doing a job and we needed our, our integrated client accounts and so we stopped doing those ourselves and just got our offshore team to do that. Picking a particular work paper for them to learn, do well and complete repeatedly. Div 7A staff, I return, preparation, those were the kind of things that we picked early on to just say, we're no longer going to do those onshore, they're all now going to be done offshore. I think that's, all three of those are very good points, particularly the last one. And I did a presentation to a new client of ours coming on and have about 200 staff in their office. So it's a relatively um, decent sized firm in Australia. And one of the things I said with that, exactly that was, don't treat your offshore team members like a typical role in Australia. Look at the workflow and process and what part of the process can they do offshore as opposed to doing end-to-end -end particularly. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's and, definitely... And yeah, and that requires you to change what you've been doing as well. So previously, whereby you would have had your local team involved in, in, in doing a whole role, it requires your local team to change. And that's a bit of a, it's something you've got to get your head around as, as not doing the, 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 full, the full thing, no matter what level team member it is. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. So if you had a word or a phrase to describe the value that your offshore team provides, what would it be? Oh, I think probably a reliable resource would, would be how I'd sum it up. We've got to the stage now uh, where if we need to get something done, um, our offshore team are there and can get it done with a minimum of fuss. Um, over the three years we've had our accountant on board, I, I could be on the road doing, doing the coaching stuff and um, you'll, you'll have a client issue pop up and you've got another team member on something else already, you can very reliably request your, your offshore team to jump straight onto something. They do. Um, they don't have any problem with doing that. It sounds probably a bit cheeky, but there's no grumbles, there's no moans, there's no knocking on your door 20 times to ask you how they should do it. They just get in and do it. And that changes changes everything when you can do that while you're attending to something else. Yeah, no, that's that's very good. So perceptions of offshoring, you've obviously been doing it for a, a fair while now, but what are the main things that you've heard and what surprised you the most when you tell other people in the industry that you're offshoring or and you've got a global team? What are what are the common things that people say to you about their perceptions of offshoring? Yeah, I come across dealing with accountants. I come across this one a fair bit. Um, look, it's probably the old one regarding taking local jobs. You know, uh, the attitude of oh no, look, I'd rather I'd rather provide um, a, a young kid a job, or I'd rather provide a, a trainee because otherwise we're going to lose lose our skills. I don't agree with that. Uh, offshoring literally changed our our business as I mentioned you know we were we, we had to go back and rebirth this thing 
and it's literally allowed us to now grow locally. Without offshoring, we wouldn't have been able to put on our graduate team member, who is now turning into a into a well-rounded, skilled accountant because the things that she's doing much more than she would have done under a traditional firm model. She's been able to come in, she's got direct client contact straight away. She's working on more complex issues quicker because she doesn't have the impact of having to get through all that other work before she gets to the good stuff. And that's really important for somebody of her age, she's 23. So it's to be able to give her meaningful work is, is critical to make sure that, um, that, that they stay. Um, it's also allowed us to, um, uh, you know, look at look at different things. It's, it, it allows me to look at taking on, you know, we were a work placement um, kid here at the moment. Now we've been done and dusted with work placement stuff because we just didn't have the time to to blood people and bring them in. And we'll continue to grow both offshore and onshore as a result of the whole process. So taking local jobs, I, I actually think it's creating for me. You know, I couldn't agree more and, and the majority of our clients are in the exact same situation. I found it interesting around your comment because this is, again, something that I don't think a lot of firms realise, um, particularly you talked about your graduate accountant and she's doing more meaningful work um, sooner. But, you know, a large majority of our clients, their graduates and, and junior accountants go through um, their structures into senior roles a lot quicker because they've got a lot more time with you know, the principals, the directors, the managers locally. So is that something that you you would agree with, that she's definitely going to get to a higher level quicker because she's got more time with you and not having to do the more meaningful work that when you had your firm, you know, when there was three partners, 15 staff, um, you know, the time it would have taken someone at that point? Oh, completely. If I, if I look back 10 years at our practice at the same level of team, we had them just churning work. With this current team member that I was speaking about, she's a member of a number of different network organisations. She's picking up clients in her own, in her own right. Um, she's developing alliances with other, um, other businesses that have a, have a good fit with ours and that's generating generating work so I mean that's a step up to something that a that a senior would have been doing under the old model say 10 years ago um, and to see that development is, is amazing to watch in a in an individual and we'll just continue that process now we've just got to get the right get the right people and I agree with that so the year ahead what is your plan with your offshore team how do you plan to keep growing your team their capability and ultimately their performance yeah, look, probably the most important thing for me is just the structure of our roles now. We've kind of, you know, as no secret, we, we've sort of made it up as we as we went along to a certain extent, um, made some mistakes, got, got some things right. But the structure of our roles, so in particular, my executive assistant uh, that's been with us about six, seven months, uh, giving her more structure for her days because up until now it's really just been getting inside my head. It's as, as scary as it is, you know, think, thinking that like me and second guessing <laughs> me. And yeah, yeah, it's a bit, bit bizarre, but um, getting her to second guess and 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 do things that that take it off my plate. So there's been a been an element of that, and that's now starting to progress well. Uh, so the next is probably to structure her day. So when keeping me to account is a little bit little bit slow 
that she's got other things that she can turn her attention to and, and she structures those things across her week. Um, so she's always always being utilised in some way, shape or, shape or form. For our accountant, it's probably just um, continuing to work on her uh, understanding tasks rather than just their processing. It's something that I've been very big with her on as is saying, look, I don't just want you to bang together this spreadsheet blindly. I don't just want you to grab a chunk of numbers and in a report and process them into some software. What I want you to do is I want you to be a little bit more analytical and understand what you're doing because she's got the capability to do it. Uh, and then if she understands what she's doing, then I can step her up even further in terms of the tasks and the things that she things that she does, because what we'll eventually do is bring on another accountant to work underneath her. So we've got some consistency. I know a lot of, a lot of people jump in and and get two people to start with rather than one, or they might get half a dozen. You know, we we took the because of our size, we we just went with one. Uh, but our plan now will be to bring somebody in underneath her and she can then help train them. And uh, I can hear some of the old school accountants that I've dealt with over the years sort of saying, are you nuts having an offshore person training another offshore person for you? And I'm sort of like, well, why not? They're, they're doing the work to a, to a great standard. Why not? They're the perfect people to train. I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. So in managing an offshore team, what would be two or three recommendations for our listeners on some of the top things that you'd recommend they do? First would be um, treat your team member as part of your business because they are. If, if you just feed them piecemeal rubbish, then their skills will go totally un, underutilised. I haven't, I haven't prepared a spreadsheet in three years. <laughs> Some people love Excel. I, I just hand it off now. I, I, I give instruction in terms of what what needs doing, um, and obviously I go into it and then do you know relevant checks and and balances. But in terms of putting the thing together, I don't don't even touch them anymore. Um, so I challenge my team members. So rather than just again just giving them the the mundane stuff, challenge them and grow your team members. So that's the first one. Second would be dedicate one of your local team members to manage them. In the first 12 months, I was doing that myself, and it is a big, it's it's a big time impost to do that, but you have to do it. Um, and if you've got a, a team member who could be that person, then get that team member to be the conduit between you and your offshore team member, and then you can touch the job and and also um, relate to the team member at a higher level rather than the ongoing training. The third would be um, manage your workflow. Uh, we've found huge benefits. We were doing it before we did offshoring, but huge benefits. We use Trello every morning when it's not daylight saving. <laughs> we uh, we jump in and do our um, our daily team team meeting huddle, whatever you want to call it, uh, and that's essential for us to have our offshore as part of our team. We conversate, we have a laugh, uh, we we keep track of the work that's that's happening. We always know what people are up to, and we can also therefore keep a bit of an eye on the time that's being taken on certain tasks as well. So I'd say th those are probably the top three things I think are key to managing. There's some good advice there, and that ties into my next question, which is around metrics and KPIs. What KPIs do you use? to measure the success of your offshore team? Because it's not the traditional time-based billing. 
Um, so what KPIs do you use um, to measure success? Yeah, look, it's, it's probably something we can improve in uh, because when we pulled back from having the three director 15 staff, we kind of ditched the, we ditched the timesheets. I thought that was great. Uh, but we're actually now back to monitoring monitoring some some time um, more from an input perspective than than billing. We don't do time billing, um, so it's an area we could probably improve in with our offshore team because we don't because we jumped out of timesheets and then back in. It's sort of a bit of a bit of an evolutionary thing to get back into the swing of it. So. But we're more interested in the throughput of the work, the time that's taken. We use the 10-day turnaround. We, we have our Trello um, that we keep track of tasks. And, and because we're doing that daily meeting, it, it sticks out. When people have got the same thing coming up day after day after day, then, then you know that you've got an issue. So it's not so much a, a particular metric that we're measuring anymore with our offshore team. It's probably just making sure that things are moving on, on yeah, the which, workflow. And that's probably a big one that we see a lot of firms now wrapping a KPI into jobs out. You know, it's, mm. it's similar to jobs moving along. So I'm going to revert a question now back to, I focus more around the clients who obviously we're in business to serve. So how has offshoring benefited your clients? Look, I, I think it's probably turnaround time. That's definitely improved in, in our practice by having just the, the, the capacity and the focus that we've been able to get. One of the things that really used to impact my role with local team was just interruptions and the inability to focus. Uh, I, I, I call it the knock on the door. <laughs> you know, you're, you're just constantly getting a knock on the door saying, sorry to interrupt, but, uh, and, and that continual cycle is largely removed with offshoring. So. That being able to free me up has benefited my clients because they've got access. It's also benefited turnaround time because I've got, I've, got, I've got the time to focus on getting the review and getting the jobs out. The other, which is more a background thing, is probably it's allowed us to tighten up our work papers, our document management, which ultimately benefits clients because any, any possible leakage when you're, when you're a small team and a busy team, it's allowed us to get back to some really significant quality of, of job, which we had lost for a couple of years. And indirectly, it's enabled me to probably give more, more time to the clients within the advisory businesses within our group, because without offshoring, I, I just wouldn't, I'd, I'd be stuck at a desk. It's I just wouldn't, have the, time to, so. wouldn't have the time to get out. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully that answers the question. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. So I'm going to flip the question. And this one normally is, doesn't always go, um, or is an answer the way that I always think it is. But how has offshoring contributed to giving you more time personally? Has it given you more time back and, and given you more life-work balance? Yeah, look, I, it, it kind of goes back to what I was saying before about having client requests or tasks needed to be done on the fly uh, because they would typically be the stress causes for you. And that then flows over into your into your personal life. If you, if you're always worrying about the things that have to be done, you never get to relax. So the efficiency and willingness of of the guys offshore, um, when something needs to be done to dig in and get it done, is is massive to me. It's 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 a bit odd, but 
the it seems easier to delegate to my offshore team than it was previously to a, a quite a decent size onshore team and i think that comes down to attitude because you would be delegating to an onshore team and i, I don't know it's, it's maybe i just personally think that but there, there's always this oh yeah well look i've got a lot on my plate too so that can kind of wait and it's a bit of a leadership bit of a management thing but i find from an offshore perspective there's a real ability and, and willingness to dig in and get something done if if it needs to be done for the for the team so it removes those stress things that you just carry away from work you you, you finish at whatever time you finish your, your work day and you go home and you're still worried about all those things that are mounting up on the list that disappears and and that's the work-life balance that i've been able to achieve from it yeah, excellent. So leading on to that, how has offshoring affected your average hourly rate um, and overall profitability to the business? I think from a uh, profit perspective, yes, there's a, a, definitely a positive impact there. Um, we've been able to get more done you know, at, at, with a team that has on average got a lower cost. In terms of an, of an average hourly rate, this comes back to our, our KPI metrics as in terms of hours spent on jobs, it's probably more because getting that structure and we can allow a little bit of inefficiency because of the of the lower rate. So from a from a pure measurement of average hourly rate, it probably hasn't equated for us. But if we can continue to improve the structuring of the roles, that, that efficiency of offshore versus onshore, I think we'll get more back to target uh, of where we want to be there but certainly um, the ability to do more with less and um, uh, has allowed us to be more profitable and now we've just got the issue of filling the capacity which is a great thing to have you know we've got the ability to take on more work now whereas before it was kind of like no look we actually want to shrink because we don't have, don't have the capacity yeah that's a great thing so I'm going to pivot away from uh, some of the traditional questions I've been asking so far today, but what's one bit of advice you'd give your younger self from a business perspective? Business perspective. Um, probably, in my case, probably fire fast, I think. Uh, over the time I've been in business for about 18 years, uh, if I'd have taken that advice, we probably would have been a little bit ahead of the game let's say that <laughs> i see that in business all the time they hire they hire fast and fire slow which is the opposite yes. way which i completely agree with your advice so look uh second question one bit of advice that you'd give your younger self from a personal point of view uh probably uh don't go with the safe option so and and as accountants we typically do that i think you you leave school you go and study because it's the safe thing to do you you enroll in an accounting degree because it's a safe course to do you then become a ca because it's a safe and good profession and then you uh, start your own public practice because it's a safe safe way to go and you do compliance because it's a safe way to go so if, if i was to go back i'd probably say look don't go with a safe option do do what's in your in your head and go with your gut I love it. What's the biggest myth or objection you've heard about having an offshore team and is it true? Probably, as I mentioned before, the, the, the stop stealing local jobs, I think is the, is the number one. And, and then the second would probably be, um, what will I tell my clients? What will my clients think? In the time that we've been uh, doing offshoring and obviously from an engagement perspective, clients are advised. 
half of them don't read, but um, they're, they're certainly advised. But we have very open conversations with our clients about um, our, our offshoring activities and not one of them has been negative in regards to it. Probably the most negative we had was a client rang me, a, um, our offshore team member's name Sheila, and uh, he rang me a, a couple of weeks ago. He'd obviously been looking too much at his, uh, at his zero uh, history and activity <laughs> logs, and he said, who's this Sheila that's been accessing my zero? Is, do you know Do you know that? So somebody hacked into my zero, and we had to set his mind at ease and say, no, look, that's one of our team members, etc." And look, he was fine. Um, yeah. He just... He, he just went a little bit too far. So neither of those are relevant. Um, yeah, I think you, you actually create better local jobs for better people and the clients really don't care that the same as, you know, they wouldn't care if Josie, the trainee in the corner, is, is locally is doing their work either. They don't come in and ask you who specifically has been doing the work in the office. So, so they don't do it with offshore either. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So for someone looking to grow their business or their team, what's the best piece of advice that you have heard and implemented that you could pass on? I think to grow business, and this is something that we're really focused on at the moment, is, is diligently build a prospect list and also communicate with that prospect list. Some of the, the um, accounting consulting stuff that I do, you know, it's amazing the amount of us that don't have a really well thought out and built out um, prospect list that we're communicating with on a regular basis. We kind of pick up work by osmosis rather than anything else. So that, that would be that would be to grow the business. Um, and in terms of grow the team, um, I'd just use, use TOA, use you guys. That's, that's how I would grow my team is, is get offshoring in place. And by having offshoring in place, if you want to also then grow your onshore team, it'll just happen. Love the advice. <laughs> Obviously, I love the advice. So we're going to finish off, David, with a quick five in five. Quick questions. First thing that comes to your mind. So first question, what cloud software do you use for the accounting part? Uh, zero. Zero Blue Smurf. Excellent. What's yep. your favourite app? Uh, at the moment, it's a uh, business planning app that's come out of New Zealand called Business Sorter. Um, really, really uh, exciting um, opportunity for us to, to get involved with that. So Excellent. Check it out what's if, your, um, yeah, no, we'll put it in the show notes for mm, certain. Mm, so what's your must-read each week? Oh, it probably comes back to work-life balance. It's getting out of the business stuff. I'm getting my head out of the business stuff. So probably anything non-fiction, I'm a bit of a muso. So anything that's involved with the music industry is um, uh, is pretty good. Excellent. Favourite social media channel? Probably Facebook. Uh, that's we, we actually pick up business out of Facebook, which is, you know, interesting um, to say the least. But uh, I, I kind of get irritated by Twitter at, at times. I kind of go in and out of Twitter. Um, it sometimes reminds me of a of a bit of a schoolyard, you know, <laughs> the way that it's uh, so. But but look, we use the we use all all channels, but probably Facebook's probably the one that we we use the most commonly. Excellent. Your favourite KPI? Yeah, I got challenged on this one on LinkedIn once um, because it wasn't a leading indicator. But um, we probably number of sales meetings for me. Yep. Uh, because if I if I can get a if I can get a, a sales meeting with a prospect, 
then I've got a pretty good chance of picking up new work. If I don't have that sales meeting, then I've got zero chance of picking up the work. So to me, that's that's probably my my key one. In terms of leading indicators, it's probably, well, okay, the number of phone calls you make to book those sales meetings. But um, for me, it's the number of sales meetings. Excellent. There is so much to unpack from today's um, podcast. So I really appreciate you taking the time to share your knowledge and and well over three years worth of experience of, of going down this journey with Tower anyway. So if our listeners wanted to reach out to you and, and get in contact with you and learn more about your coaching business and or just more have a chat with you, what's the best way for them to contact you? Yeah, look, e- email is probably the best, um, which is just david at thesupercoach.com.au. Um, we've got all of the usual usual socials, but uh, email is the best to, to get direct contact straight to me. So. Excellent. Well, thank you again for your time and sharing your valuable knowledge. Awesome. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time to uh, listen to my waffle. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. To follow our podcast and get insights from leading accountants, simply visit theoutsourcedaccountant.com or visit iTunes or SourCloud and head to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. To connect with me personally, just look for my Twitter handle at Nick Q Sinclair or find me on LinkedIn at Nick Sinclair. 